thank you so much, uh, Women's Ministry, for throwing the, the baby shower for, for Michelle. It was awesome. I mean, I wasn't there, so I didn't see the pictures, per se. or well, I haven't seen pictures, and I wasn't there, but I heard all about it from my wife. And one thing I can say is there sure was a lot of pink gifts. Not blue, but pink. No, pink's good. Um, it's a girl, right? Our third, our third girl. So thank you so much uh, for that. Uh, we really appreciate it. such a blessing to be on the receiving end of, of, of those gifts. <clears throat> I'm going to try something today because I really miss talking with my hands. So I'm going to try talking without a microphone. At any given point, if you're like, yeah, this just, just doesn't work, it's not loud enough, let me know and I'll go right back to the mic. But, you know, one day we will not be able to do that because there'll be, there'll be just too many people and too many things. But right now I think I, I might be able to pull it off. Yeah, I don't like the headset thing. I feel like Madonna or something weird, you know? I, we were talking because we have a headset, and I was like, having a headset microphone just feels, I don't know, feels like too corporate, man. I don't know. It's just, it makes me feel weird. So I'm going to talk and uh, pretend it's just a large classroom, and it, like I said, just be like, yo, man, you got to put the microphone on. How is it so far? Okay, so far? Okay. Maybe I'll get even closer right now. I might be able to. All right, well, uh, why don't we open up to uh, Exodus Chapter 24, we're not, gonna, we're not there yet, but we will be getting there in a little bit. But I want to get you all prepped up. And so uh, I've been praying into this notion of covenant. We just had a um, sermon series, kind of, sort of, on, on, on what it means to be a part of a tribe and what a tribe is. And uh, what binds a tribe together is covenant. And uh, I just feel that in the modern age where there seems to be a whole bunch of relationships, seems to be not actually too many covenants and covenant agreements between people. And so the Bible, which we're going to find out today, is really a book of covenants. And, um, and I want us to establish that. And I want us to try to gain an understanding of what does it really mean to be in a covenant with someone, and actually with he that matters, God himself. So, uh, we are going to, in a moment, watch a video. Um, it is a drone video of a place called Qumran, which is actually the location of the Dead Sea Scrolls. The video will explain it pretty well. I'll, uh, I'll explain it a little bit more. by a Bedouin shepherd boy looking for his lost sheep. Over the next 10 years, he became the largest collection of ancient Hebrew scrolls. Included in the discovery were an unprecedented 39 copies of the Book of Psalms and 22 copies of the Book of Isaiah. The Essenes believed in keeping themselves pure from the outside world, living lives of voluntary poverty, collective ownership, and in serving each other they built a system of aqueducts diverting water from nearby canyons during the rainy seasons to 
to a series of large cisterns. As part of their daily purification, they would immerse themselves in ritual baths called the Bodhi. In 68 CD, the Essene community of Qumran was completely destroyed by an advancing Roman army. Today, the Dead Sea Scrolls are an affirmation of Judaism's resilience and connection to the land through the millennia. <clears throat> so, down in the deserts of Israel, there is a cave that went missing or no one knew about for 2,000 years. And in 1946, an Arab boy had his goat was just literally climbing up the cave. The goat goes into this cave, and like, oh, this is a cave in the middle of the wilderness, and he actually hears uh, something fall down in the cave. It's actually like these jars, pottery fell over. He's like, what's that? And he goes inside, and he makes one of the most outstanding modern-day archaeological discoveries. And inside of there is essentially scrolls after scrolls after scrolls of writings, the most important one being the Bible itself. A 2,000-year-old copy of the Older Testament, the Hebrew Bible, uh, with very, very limited scribal differences. What I mean by scribal differences is every once in a while, right, you're handwriting these, you may have a letter off, or you may have a punctuation that's off, but virtually exactly the same as what we have today, okay? It's amazing. So that happens in 1946, and then something else happens in 1948. In 1948, after 2,000 years as well, the Jewish people get an independent nation-state again called Eretz Israel, the land of Israel. It's amazing. Two dates to keep in mind, 1946-1948. These two dates are once again showing us the importance and the power of covenant. After 2,000 years, God's covenant once again is showing that His word, even if it goes in a cave for 2,000 years, that it changes not. I mean, man had access to this book. They could have changed it. They could have done things to it. But the Lord is like, no, I'm not letting that happen to my word. And you can compare it to the word of God that Jesus Himself was reading. And they're the same. So when people say, oh, the Bible's just made up, you're like, dude, for 2,000 years, not really a word was changed? Are you serious? So there's a covenant of God's word. God's word is everlasting. He's faithful to it. And the next thing is 1948 is another part of the covenant. That he with his people Israel, he will bring them to the land of Israel. Not because they're good, not because they're bad, because God has said so. God actually says that the land of Israel is his land. All the rest of the nations are just nations. The land of Israel, he says, I've placed my name on her. And so the Jewish people were not living in the land of Israel for 2,000 years. But then after 2,000 years, God's like, I'm ready to, boom, bring in my covenant again and make it true. It's very, very powerful. Uh, and this had some like major, major consequences for Christian thought. Uh, many Christians had believed that um, for, for 2,000 years, many Christians believed that God was done with the nation of Israel. They actually believed that Christians replace Israel as the covenant-keeping people. Um, that is a very bad and very dangerous theology. Uh, it's known as replacement theology. 
And it's something that Christians were thinking about for a long time, but not all Christians believed this way. One of, the, one of the powerful things about the Assemblies of God that they came about in about 1910, uh, they never believed that way. They always believed that Israel, it was a covenant, was in covenant with God, and that covenant was not, to be, not broken. But that we as Christians get to join, this is a big difference. Christians either taking over the covenant position, replacement theology, or Christians are able to join the already said covenant with Israel. It's a difference. So for 2,000 years, people were like, ah, now God's done with Israel. Look, they're scattered all over the nations. And then Christian theologians in 1948 are like, uh-oh, what do we do now? Because it was a miracle, and they're back on the map again. People really had to re-examine their theology, and, and, and that's awesome that they had to. But the reason why they had to is because people, particularly Christians, did not have an appropriate biblical understanding to covenant. They thought covenants could just be broken and be done with. It's not what a covenant is. So it's a very powerful, powerful lesson. So after 2,000 years, God reminds the children of the earth that his word is unchanging. We see that in the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. And we also see it that his word is unchanging. When he says he makes a covenant with the people, he makes and keeps a covenant with the people. And you have the rebirth of Israel again. These two events, 1946 and 1948, collide together. They collide together and astound Believers and also astound skeptics. Uh, one of the most powerful things, man, I, that I've read about is uh, it was actually in uh, pre-Soviet Russia or Tsarist Russia when the Russians uh, had a king. Uh, Frederick the Great um, was asking an advisor because at this point uh, Russia was was becoming uh, atheistic. Like, ah, how can you believe in a god? And the great czar, Frederick the Great, asked one of his advisors, give me, just give me one. I dare you to give me one proof text that there is a God. And his advisor responds this way. When Frederick the Great asked his trusted advisor for the single strongest piece of evidence that proved the existence of God, the advisor simply answered him, the Jews. Amen. Sir, the Jews. After 6,000 years, they exist. And after 6,000 years, they're different. They have not been absorbed into the religions of the world. It's proof text that there is a God who made a covenant with a man called Abraham who was going to now have children and children's children's children that were going to be a strange, peculiar people that would be a holy priesthood unto the nations so the nations would see that there is one God. See, God is a covenant-keeping God. There is power in covenant. Amen. That's right. And it's different than a relationship. And it's different than an agreement. It's covenant. So, Exodus chapter 24, 7, so you get a little understanding of this biblically. Exodus 24, 7 says it this way. Then he, Moses, took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. 
Some of us know the, the continued story of that. But it's part of the conversation of God. What I wanted to emphasize here is Moses is referring to parts of the words of God, not as the Bible, but as the book of the covenant. Now, I'm, I'm making, I, want, I want to stress this, and I want to get like too like, seminarian on you guys, but people don't teach this in seminary anyway, so we wouldn't be doing that. Look, there, there, this, is, this is what's going on here. Subtle, you have to understand, you have to understand that there is a devil, and the enemy, if he cannot defeat you, he's going to try to confuse you. Yes. And he's going to try to confuse the children of God so they are not as powerful as they are supposed to be by destiny. Amen. So here's a subtle little thing. Subtle things have occurred whereby people have lost the depth of understanding of God's word. And it begins very simple with this. What is this? What do we call this? The Bible. The Bible? It's called the Bible. Mine says Holy Bible. Well, Bible comes from the Greek word biblos, which simply means books. Like, these are the books. Now, we, we try to, yeah, Greeks try to make it a little bitter by saying it's the holy books. But it's a book. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is not just a book. And it's not just a series of books. This is something much, much more different. And what's interesting here is that these words were not always referred to as a book. Like calling it the Bible is, is, is actually a, a relatively recent thing in history. What I mean by that is like maybe, maybe, maybe John, you know, I don't know, it's like a thousand years ago, 1500 years ago, when they're calling it like Bible. And look, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with calling it a Bible. But there is something wrong if you misunderstand what it really means and what it is. Okay? So here we go. Originally, these scriptures, and they're still known to this day by Jewish people, they were known as, it was known as the Tanakh. And Tanakh is three letters. A T sound, an N sound, and I guess a K sound. And they stand for different portions of the books. T stands for Torah, which is either law or teaching. The end sound is Nevaim, which are all the prophetic writings. And the Ketuvim, which is the writings, which are like all the narrative stories of the Bible. And I, you, this is so funny. This legitimately happened. They had scrolls, as we saw in the Dead Sea Scrolls in the cave. And then there was an invention. It was called book binding. You can actually bind books together in glue. So they bound the words of God together in a book with glue, and you put it on your bookshelf, and in order to know what was written there, on the binding would have T and C. Why just T and C? Because that's all that fits on a binding. And then it became the word Tanakh. T standing for law, N standing for the prophets, C standing for the writings. Now, this may be like a little bit like whatever, but this is what I'm trying to get at here. Is this. The Bible is actually a compilation of covenants. It's not just a book. It's not just books. It's actually a compilation of covenants that, God, that the God of Israel made with Israel and then ultimately also with the world. It's a covenant. It's not just a book. It's not just a piece of literature. Really appropriately, we should be saying that this is the book of covenants. 
not going to make theology about it, but you have to grab that to, to gain the understanding. Because this right here is a legal agreement between God and his, and his creation. It's not just a book to read. It's not just a book to get inspiration from. This is an agreement from he who sits in heavenly places with his creation. So what is covenant? Covenant is it's more than an agreement between two parties. It's actually a legal binding contract. And what is covenant? Covenant is a relationship of the matters of the heart. And in the Bible, the covenants that God makes with His children are always, always, always sealed with blood. See, in the modern world of convenience and in a throwaway culture of self-gratification where we get our immediate fixes, we need to understand the power of covenant. It's not just like some kind of silly little agreement like, hey, I agree to do this if you agree to do that. It's so much deeper than that. That's why we talk about the covenant of marriage. The covenant of marriage. Now, there are, there are a couple grounds in the scriptures for divorce. But falling out of love is not one of them. Because if your husband or your spouse is seemingly falling out of love with you, the covenant is there to bind it together. You can only fall out of love if you fall into love, right? But when you enter into a covenant, it's something that is powerful. So powerful. So, um, in the Bible, uh, there... there appears to be seven main covenants. There's some smaller ones made with individuals and individual circumstances. But there's really seven main covenants. Interesting, not five, not six, not eight, but seven. Right? The number of perfection and completion and the rest. And the seventh one is the covenant of rest, which is very powerful. Six out of the seven covenants, uh, I would say, are, are, are what we call unconditional what we mean by unconditional is this, that if you screw it up, if you mess up your end of the bargain, it's all right. God is there that says, come on, I'm here. Come on back. Amen. One of the seven covenants is what I'm calling pseudo-conditional. It's not completely conditional. It's complicated. It's a complicated covenant. Uh, and it's so complicated that Christian theologians just choose not to teach on it. But we're going to teach on it in a couple weeks. So we're going to go through the, 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 the seven covenants of God. We may, we may partner them together so it's not seven weeks long. But one of them will go over the, the more complicated one that Christians are just like, eh, I'm not going to deal with that. It's not for me. It's a covenant. Like, you got to like, get into it, man. So let's go through them. Covenants. Don't worry, I'm not going to be teaching on each one. I'm just going to give you a little foreshadowing so that when we do go through them in the next couple of weeks, we'll have a better understanding. All right, so the first covenant that man, a God makes with man 
and in theologic, uh, theolo theologic circles is known as the Adamic Covenant. Essentially, it's a covenant that God made with man. Okay? Uh, what are they? Uh, that you find them in the first three chapters of Genesis. Yeah, it's the story of the tree, right? Only eat of a certain tree. Don't eat of the other tree. If you do, there's sin. There's all this kind of stuff. Okay, yes, absolutely. But there's more to the covenant than that. There's a binding agreement that says, hey, you've sinned now. Okay, now you need to go out and what do you need to do, man? All right, man has to work the soil. He has to earn living by the sweat of his brow. What do women get? Ooh. Pain in childbirth. Ooh. Okay. Uh, what else, though? Uh, you are to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. That is what we are supposed to do. Right? And multiplication doesn't have to be just biological. It could be spiritual. Right? Spiritual children. And so I ask this question. Is that covenant still happening right now? Do you guys and gals have to work by the sweat of your brow? Women, do you still feel pain in childbirth if you don't get the drugs? Yes. yes. Are we still to go out and be fruitful and multiply? Are we still called to subdue the earth and bring the kingdom of God to, to earth? Yes. To expand Eden? Yes. Yeah, that covenant's still going on. If it wasn't, I wouldn't have to work. It would be great. And you wouldn't have that pain in childbirth. It would be wonderful. And, the, and the, the, the serpent wouldn't be attacking the heel of the woman either. Now we know a new Adam has come. And he's brought that new covenant. But let's be real. The serpent is still trying to attack the heels of people. So that covenant is still happening. A second covenant. The covenant with Noah. Genesis chapters 9 to 11. And what was this covenant? God says, I am making a covenant with Noah and to his children that I will never destroy the earth again by water, but actually by fire. And I'm giving you this as a sign of the contract, of the covenant, and the sign is to be a... Is that still going on? It's still going on! When it rains, you see a rainbow. There's still a promise. He's not going to destroy the earth by water, but now by fire. Woof, okay. But that covenant is still there. And he put a rainbow in the sky so that we would be reminded of, of that covenant. The third one, the Abrahamic covenant. This is uh, Genesis 12. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Alright, we break this down real simply. What's the blessing? One, I'm giving you a land. Two, you're going to become a great nation. Three, I'm going to bless the peoples of the earth that bless you. And I'm going to curse the people of the earth that curse you. The sons of Abraham. Essentially Israel. And the big one. Your people shall be a blessing unto the entire earth. I don't have, to tell, I don't have time to necessarily tell you that Jewish people comprise 0.2% of the world's population, but yet have 30% of Nobel Prizes. What? 0.02% of the world's population. 
but yet comprised 30% of Nobel Prize winners in the advancements of science, mathematics, uh, you name it. Like I'm saying this not to like shoot Jewish people's horns. I'm saying this because God's covenant is real. It's real. It's real. And the most powerful part of blessing the entire earth is coming through salvation has come through the Jews, Jesus says, right? Jesus, the ultimate blessing unto the world has come from the seed and the loins of Abraham. So is that covenant still happening? Yes. Next one, this is the one that like, you know, gets people all fired up in the future and a little bit now. God makes a land covenant with, with his people. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 through 10. He says, I've given you a land. It's my land. I put my name on it. And I'm giving it to you. Now, if you take a look at the borders, holy cow. Now, this is more than the little pink Israel. I'm just being real with you. I don't know when it's going to happen. It may happen with the coming of Messiah. I'm, I'm not exactly sure when the, de- the, the timeline is. But those are the biblical boundaries of the nation of Israel. It's from the river Nile to the great river of the Tigris-Euphrates. Dude, when that happens, if that happens before Jesus comes back, we're talking World War III. But his covenant, his covenant. I mean, after 2,000 years, there was no land. Already they have the, the, the main portion of it that was promised. It's very, uh, very, very, very powerful. Now, here's the thing with the covenant, the land covenant. God actually does say in in Deuteronomy 30, if you disobey my laws, I'm going to scatter you to the nations. He says that. But if you turn your heart back to me, I'm going to gather you back into the land. And he's doing it. He's doing it. After 2,000 years, he's doing it. Why? Why? Very simple. Deuteronomy 7.9. Know without any doubt, without any doubt, that the Lord is faithful and he keeps his covenant to a thousand generations, which if you did the math is about uh, 40,000 years, with those who love him. He keeps his covenant to the thousands of generations. And so after 2,000 years, he's like, I, I'm still here with the covenant. Come on. Boom. And he's making it happen. Can I get an amen or something? All right. Next covenant is the Davidic covenant. 2 Samuel 7, 8 to 16. He says that he's going to make a covenant. He's making a covenant with David. And from his seed, from his lineage, there will always be so, someone of his lineage on the throne of Israel. And that is fulfilled with Jesus who comes from the lineage of David. So that covenant is still happening. What I'm trying to get at here is all these covenants keep happening. The next one is the new covenant, which actually is not found first in the book of Matthew. It's actually found first in Jeremiah chapter 31 in the Older Testament. Thus saith the Lord, I'm making a new covenant Not with the Italians, not with the Germans, not with the Finns. I'm making a new covenant 
with the household of David and the household of Israel. I will take the laws which were on the tablets of stone and I will take them from the tablets of stone and I will inscribe them upon your hearts. No longer will one man have to teach another for all will know me. So he's made yet another covenant with Israel that we, if you are not Jewish, including myself, can join because of the blood of Jesus. So, look, these are six. I left the seventh one last because this is the one that gives everyone like ah, panic attacks. But don't worry, in a couple weeks we're going to study it. The Mosaic Covenant. Uh, Deuteronomy 11, the book of uh, Leviticus, I mean, two-thirds of Exodus. I mean, largely good portions of the Older Covenant. Many Christians view it as like, oh, it's a list of do's and don'ts. It's, it's too, the, the actual Mosaic Covenant is too beautiful and too complex to just defame it to such a small thing. King David says, your law is a light unto my feet. Well, King David, which law are you talking about? Anyone? Which law is he talking about? The law of Moses. How can King David say that the law of Moses is a light upon his feet? And we can sing songs about it, but yet we have such a disgusting distaste for the Mosaic Covenant. What's up with that? That's a, a complex mystery, which you can tune in in a couple weeks, or maybe a couple months if, if, if the baby comes. But here's the thing, just a little taste. I'm saying it's pseudo-conditional. This one is, 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 is a little conditional. What I mean by pseudo-conditional is, is that it, the Lord explains. He says, if you disobey my law, I'm going to curse you. If you listen to my law, I'm going to bless you. But then he says, hey, even if you don't do my law, Deuteronomy 30 says, don't you worry. You can always, always come back. I am always there. My arms are always wide open. As a hen gathers her chicks, the Lord gathers his people. For Israel is to be likened unto a nursing child at the breast. He is always there waiting, waiting. Come back to me, O Israel. And so even in the Mosaic law, if you did turn away, there is always, always, always provision to come back. And the reason why I'm saying that this one is pseudo-conditional is because there's an ultimate expression of the way back. There is the ultimate expression of the way back. Hebrews chapter 8 says this way. Verse 6. But now he, Jesus, has obtained a more excellent mystery, inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. What he's saying here is Paul, most likely, he's saying, look, the Mosaic Covenant was a good thing. It was a beautiful thing, actually, because it's a light unto my feet, King David says. But God in his mercy has brought forth an even better way that no longer do we have to provide the guilt offerings, the blood offerings of, of bulls and goats. But one sacrifice has been slain forever. The Son of Man. The Son of God, Jesus, Yeshua. So there's a better way. Doesn't mean that that one is junk. It just means that actually there's a better way. Amen. Yes. Praise God that there's a better way. Yes. Hebrews 9.15 goes on to say it this way. 
And for this reason, He, Jesus, is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. So it's pseudo because there is a, it's like a holding tank for the better covenant that's coming. We'll talk about those mysteries and those complexities in the future. For those of you who are like, whoa, what the heck did we just talk about? Here's a little review slide. I thought of Annabelle when I did this. Adam, Noah, Abraham, the land, Mosaic, David, and Jesus, the new covenant. If you have the worship team, come on down, please. Oh, so, okay, this, this may have seemed a little bit um, teacher-like. But that's the importance of certain things, guys. I've got to be honest with you, not necessarily in this congregation, but in the church at large, biblical literacy is ridiculously low. Ridiculously low. Um, most, 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 most believers probably would get a D on biblical literacy. And the studies have been shown that. If we... They did, uh, I think it's um, Barnett Group did a, uh, a survey with uh, evangelicals and gave them a quiz over the phone. And they failed. Failed. And so, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, there just needs to be an understanding. Of this is more than just a, a thing of like, hey, man, let's read this to feel good about ourselves. This is a covenant. Something that has been written. Sealed with blood. To be an agreement between man and God. I want to switch over to the mic now. And so, all right, fine, you know. How does this make sense for us? It's like, all right, Dave, you just went through all these covenants. Great, awesome. We spent a lot of time with that. I spent all that time so we can really just get to this moment right here, and it's this. A covenant is a sacred commitment between God and you. It is a sacred commitment. In the Bible, God, when he makes a covenant, God is always the initiator. Like, you don't have a say. Like, God, let's both sit down and come to a mutually beneficial agreement. And it happened like that. God says, here's the covenant. I've signed it. You on? You on board? And don't worry, even if you don't sign it, I'm going to be there to do it. Amen. So covenant, God is always the initiator. You do not have a say in the conditions. Which is actually so beautiful. The only thing we have is a life. Arms wide open. I have nothing to give to this covenant except my life. I have nothing that I can give you because you have all things. But there's one thing, and one thing only that I can give you, is hands, arms wide open, saying, I surrender to the covenant of promise. Amen. 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 I'm telling you right now, this Bible is more than a feel-good tape, a feel-good literature, a daily devotional. This is the words of God that says, I have made a covenant with you, and the only thing that I'm asking of you is to give me everything that you have. 
It's not get here on Sunday and read it and feel good when you leave. It is a way to walk your life in a purposeful agreement of matters of the heart of God who has sealed the covenant with blood. Covenants are always sealed with blood. And we're going to learn more about this in the upcoming weeks. But just so you can get a taste, and so you don't think that I'm making these things up, Genesis chapter 3, 21, really at the foundations of really the first covenant that was made. Adam and Eve have sinned. They've ate of the fruit. They know that they're naked. They hide themselves behind bushes. God says, well, where are you, Adam? Right, right there, right? God is not, is, is not saying, hey, you have to run to me. He's always chasing after you in the covenant. Where are you? Where are you? Right? Adam never has to ask, where art thou, God? He's right here, ready. But God asks all the time, where are you? And they're, they're hiding behind the bushes because they know of their sin and they know of their nakedness. Then the Lord said, Behold, I'm sorry, verse 20, And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. Also, for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Tunics, leather, animals. In the breaking of the first covenant that God has ever made with man, God provides a sacrifice. He has to kill animals to provide skin to give to man for a covering. Yom Kippur, the, the Day of Atonement. Kippur is a covering. Something that's going to hide your sin. God kills an animal to provide the sacrifice. Sin needs the shedding of blood. And so sin and death and, and bloodshed and all of this, why so much blood? Even from the very beginning. It is to be a reminder that to enter into covenant with a person in marriage or more importantly with God, there needs to be death. The shedding of blood, blood reminds you that when you walk in covenant, with God, there needs to be death. You see, people want a God that they can bargain with. I'll give him a little, he'll give me a little. It'll work out, it'll be mutually uh, beneficial, it'll be a symbiotic relationship. That type of thinking is not covenant. That type of thinking is a casual acquaintance with God. God has called you out of a casual acquaintance to walk in covenant with Him. There are too many believers on earth that just have a, a, a casual flirtation with God. He wants to be wed to you. And so it's this. Covenant is when both parties die to the self. In the new covenant, God died in the flesh on the cross to bear His end of the covenant. I'm dying. 
for you. And now we, we get to die to the flesh. If you want to walk in covenant with God, you need to die in the flesh. It's not because it's just like what you're supposed to do. It is because that is what covenant is. You can't be a covenant people serving a covenant God if you don't walk in the legal attributes of the covenant. And that is death. Each day death. Death to the self. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Colossians, Paul says it this way, put to death therefore what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Guys, that type of thinking, that's covenant. That's covenant. Putting away the fleshly things. Putting away the things of the earth. And closing up, Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. This is Paul speaking. Let's hear a man who gets covenant. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Messiah, and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Messiah, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him, Brace yourself. Put the seatbelts on. Because this is not a Christian verse. Alright, this is not an American Christian verse. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering being conformed to death. What? I step into this covenant and I'm now going to know, not just know, I'm going to yearn to know to have fellowship of the sufferings of Messiah. To know what it's like to peel back the flesh and to die to the flesh and to pick up the cross each and every day. That's covenant. If you want a casual flirtation with God, just love Him. And He'll love you and you'll feel good. If you want to walk in the covenant blessings of God, we need to die to the flesh. Amen. We need to come to Him and understand that this is more than even a relationship. It's a relationship of covenant. That He spilled His blood for us. And now we get to symbolically and spiritually die to ourselves to walk in our end of the bargain. So Lord, I pray right now that there would be a rise in the spirit right now, the spirit of understanding of covenant. That we understand that we're not just in an agreement with God, that we're not just in a casual relationship with you, but we are here to bear covenant with you. To be your hands, to be your feet, to be your witnesses. To die to the flesh. To receive the covenant of your blood. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Have a wonderful week, but we really hope that you can come down and enjoy our potluck as we just bless the tailors with their new baby underway. Feel free to just stay in the presence here. If there's anything that you need prayer for, we're here to pray for you. Hope to see you Wednesday. If not, we'll see you Sunday. Be blessed.